From braving the new world of open banking to busting the barriers of geography into unique cohorts of customers, community banks and credit unions have a lot of work to do. It's a good thing we have an expert in those areas, the one and only Lee Weatherington of Jack Henry and Associates here on Bankadelic. From the studios of Karma Productions Worldwide in Chicago, this is Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic. Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance, where we supply expert views, riff on the news, innovate and investigate actionable insights, unscripted banking with a caffeine kick. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, inviting you to sit back, grab a cuppa, kick up your feet. Here we go. If you're looking to grow your digital banking business, check out Lemonade LXP, the digital growth platform for financial institutions and fintechs. Lemonade LXP has both ingredients you need to drive digital growth, a learning experience platform that uses daily micro-learning to give staff the knowledge and confidence they need to promote and support your digital capabilities, and a digital adoption platform that supports your digital capabilities with technology walkthroughs that you can author in just minutes. So if you're rolling out new technology, merging with or acquiring another FI, or just looking to drive digital banking growth, you gotta drink the lemonade. For more information, check out Lemonade LXP at www.lemonadelxp.com. Thanks again for tuning in to yet another episode of Bankadelic. And when I say yet another, we are about to embark on yet another adventure with one of the best guests I've ever had on this podcast, Lee Weatherington. Lou. Let's hear it. Lou. Lou. Lee. Lou. Lee. <laughs> Lee Lou. Lou Lee. And Luli, truly, Lee is the Senior Director of Strategy at Jack Henry and Associates. There, Lee wears many hats, including those of corporate strategist, overseeing industry research, keynote speaker, writer, and subject matter expert with a concentration in technology, banking, and payments. Now, in his 13th year with Jack Henry, Lee was previously the company's Director of Strategic Insight. Might I also mention... He is an incredibly righteous Prince fan. Very yes. purple. I bleed purple. That's correct. There we go. Welcome to Bankadelic. And we talked about this a bit off mic, that there is this tension between ecosystem and industry disruption, which you've got a pretty singular view on. Why are those two things both together and separate? If you've ever been to a strategy planning meeting, you know, you do a SWOT analysis, right? You look at industry competitors and you try to figure out where the threats are and where the opportunities are, and you map that against your own strengths and weaknesses, et cetera. That's a fine framework. If you are just reckoning with industry competition and disruption, that presumes, however, that you are operating and competing inside of a very neatly defined industry. That's why we call them industries, because they have borders and lines that separate them from other verticals and industries. So the problem with where we are now is that if you really zoom out longitudinally, you see that we have long seasons of well-defined industries that are then disrupted by 
new developments that break those boundaries down between industries and basically introduce new competition from players well outside of those that you thought you were competing against. And hopefully just saying that that way makes everybody listening in go, well, yeah, that's why we're worried about what a Google or an Amazon or a Facebook or whatever are doing. This is ecosystem disruption. So we're experiencing both and we don't have language and frameworks for it because we all have been operating mostly in very neatly defined industries for most of our professional careers, including my own. And I've been around for a while. So this is a new way of thinking. If you don't understand ecosystem disruption, if you're not using a wider lens to understand what's driving these new threat vectors that you're experiencing as a financial institution, you are not in a good way. And you've got a blind spot that you're going to have to wake up to and begin organizing your existence around to understand how ecosystems work versus industries, because they're different. Yeah, it's really elegantly put. The Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan, a scholar, W. Chan Kim and Renee Mauborn, who was one of his students, they put together this theory called Blue Ocean Strategy. Very similar to what you're describing, this idea that every pizza place in town is trying to compete with every other pizza place, but the pizza place that maybe fuses pizza with something else and oh by the way has some sort of interactive experience where you go in and make your own pizza they are in a blue ocean all by themselves it was very similar to the logic steve jobs had with creating the iphone well we're not competing with the music players we're not competing with smartphones we're doing our own thing right that's precisely it and you know in my world, in strategy world, we've been sort of singularly focused on not only the Blue Ocean framework, but Michael Porter's Five Forces or Clay Christensen's Innovator's Dilemma. But a lot of those are still circumscribed by an industry presumption that is no longer solid ground for any of us. What's driving all of this? The abstraction of the technology stack underneath financial services. And what I mean by that is, you know, 30 years ago, if you're going to run a bank or a credit union, you would go to a provider like the one I work for, and you would get a very tightly vertically integrated proprietary stack of technology. And that's what you operated the bank or credit union on. And good luck trying to add anything outside of that to it. Where we are now is every single layer of the financial services technology stack from the core to payments, to data, to fraud and security, to the UI, each of those layers are now abstracted, componentized, and they're sitting in the cloud and typically made available by some form of subscription-based model. So you can literally sort of plug, play, and go. And here's the kicker. You don't have to be a financial institution to be able to play with those pieces if you're willing to pay what the financial institutions who own the chartered pieces of that stack want to charge you for them. That's why all of these non-financial brands are now doing, in essence, the stuff that chartered entities historically have only been able to do. They're enabling payments. They're enabling deposits. They're enabling finance and lending. So what does it mean when you thought you had the protection of a charter as a regulated entity and an exclusive franchise that is now being rented out? And we call that banking as a service or payments as a service or lending as a service or deposits as a service. You know, Angela Strange at Andreessen Horowitz says every company is a fintech. Well, that's another way of saying almost every company's a financial institution. 
there's so much complexity. As industries dissolve into ecosystems, we're in the middle of this flux. And so the bad news is you've got the complexity of dealing with both industry and ecosystem disruption, but there is as much opportunity as there is threat. And that's really what financial institutions need to get clear on. Where are the opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. And it fascinates me that one thing that could and should be regarded as an opportunity by financial institutions is often seen as a threat, and that's open banking. Give us an overview of what open banking involves, and then maybe we can segue into how banks and credit unions should develop their competitive strategies to deal with this new reality. Okay, I'm going to make this very simple because there's so much print and so much confusion about what exactly open banking is. Here's what it is. Open banking is the idea that the account holder, whether it's a consumer or a business, own their financial data and they can share it with whomever they like, whenever they want, for whatever reason. And the financial institution, if they're doing their job, will help that consumer or that business do that very thing. Help them share their financial data and or aggregate it from other places back to the financial institution to help make sense of that data, to take action on that data, to get clarity on their financial health, and to inform decisions about how to improve that financial health. That's what open banking is. It's basically honoring the account holder's ownership of their own financial data and enabling them to port or share that data with whomever they want for whatever reason they want. There's a couple of things here. One is this originated in Europe as a regulated phenomena, right? But open banking has taken off in the United States, not by regulatory fiat or mandate, but because of market-driven forces. And specifically, it was because the biggest banks in the country realized that even with a $10 billion technology budget annually, they cannot innovate fast enough to keep up with the shifting needs of every one of their customer segments. They can't do it. And the only option is to open that up and share that innovation burden with innovators and fintechs on the outside to help meet that demand for those shifting needs in their customer bases. And I'm going to say something really radical here in case people didn't hear Simon Taylor say this on United States soil just two months ago. He is the co-founder of 11FS, arguably the preeminent expert on all things global fintech. He's from London. He comes over and he says here that open banking is bigger in the United States per capita than it is in Europe, where it originated as a regulated phenomenon. Wow. You're going to need to take that in. And I don't expect everybody to get that just listening to this podcast. But what that means is that you need to acknowledge where we are. Basically, a financial institution's opportunities in the context of an open banking ecosystem, what is that in the United States? That basically is the four or five biggest financial data exchange platforms, they are the plumbing for open banking in the United States. Now, you have described this so elegantly. You've used some metaphors that I've never heard used before, like the pipes that come from the traditional bank. And I'm wondering if we can take this even a step further. Let's say the community banker walks into you and they say, Lee, this is so cool. If we could set this up with our community bank or our credit union, what might this look like? It could be that hyper-local is defined in a new way. You may cater to RV owners or musicians. How do the fintechs 
and the rails that are provided by the conventional financial institution interact. Here's the thing. You start with strategy, being very clear about who you serve, where they are, and why. You have to be very clear on that. So I think the days of thinking that we will just be slow followers and we'll try to be most things to most people in either a tightly or even vaguely defined local geographic market, I think those days are numbered. I think you have to get really much more focused in this environment to be able to capture the value you can with differentiated offerings for specific niches. I think that's where the gold is for community financial institutions, both banks and credit unions. So tactically then, how do you do that? If you've defined your niche, you've got to have the strategic and technical agility to be able to integrate and bundle together just the right products, features, et cetera, innovations. And many of those may fall well outside of your current primary provider, core provider, even digital provider. There's thousands, literally thousands of fintechs to choose from. And so part of the work here is to really curate the fintech ecosystem, right? If we know we need these three primary product sort of features or solutions or differentiating innovations bundled together in a really nice way and backed by personal service in digital contacts, et cetera, The tactical question is, does your digital platform, is it truly open? Can the financial institution be its own platform? And here's what I mean by that. Financial institutions can curate differentiated digital experiences in an open banking ecosystem. And they can do that and they can win, they can win, they can win, they can win all day long because when they add their superpower of personal trust and service in the context of digital, you can't get that anywhere else. The most threatening players in ecosystem disruption, like Square, for instance, right? Look at what they're not offering. They're not offering external aggregation of everything else you've got out there all in one place so that you can see a full picture of your financial health. They're not offering that. PayPal with its super app, you know, attempt here is trying to get everything into their closed garden, right? They're not looking at the holistic picture. By the way, Lou, let me drop this on you. Drop it, baby. My friend Ron Shevlin wrote a couple of weeks ago in his Forbes column that it is not uncommon now for young couples, that is Gen Z and Gen Y couples, to have relationships with between 30 to 40 financial service providers. Wow. This is called financial fragmentation. Here's the irony. Everybody has been trying these new little apps, a P2P app here, a PFM app there, a financial health app over here, an aggregation app over there. Maybe I'm getting a little bit of lending or a special card kind of thing over here or a niche player for my profession over there. And in the pursuit of convenience for their financial lives, we're all waking up to the fact that we're completely fragmented. Fragmentation creates a blue ocean opportunity for community financial institutions to plug into open banking and aggregate all of those 30 to 40 relationships back to a single view at the financial institution, home base. This is what I suggest strategically to every community financial institution today. Think about how you get to first app status in the context of financial fragmentation. That's the opportunity. So when are we starting up our own deal here? (laughs) You and I, when are we starting up our own deal? You and I are gonna launch a Neo for weirdos, (laughs) right? People that just like to do you know, voices and impersonations. Yeah, I think we could call it bank. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? You mentioned strange fruit 
earlier in this conversation, I just got finished watching this Billie Holiday documentary. I love Billie Holiday. I do Billie Holiday. Bring it on. Oh, Lou, I love you so. I can't get enough of your podcast. I need it every day. There you go. How's that? I think John Lennon was in the room and his response was, well, I suppose a lot of you have heard Billie Holiday sing a love song to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so good. That's so good. Before we ride off into the sunset here, there's a reason you've been around at Jack Henry so long why you've recently moved into this new position. We're hearing it on this podcast, this insight. If you have something that is very singular to your vision, something that gets us to that place where, as you put it, we don't know what it will look like, but we're getting there. What might that be? Yeah. In the context of all of this disruption and fragmentation, my short and midterm wish list would be for our industry behind this market-driven juggernaut of open banking in the United States to rally around standards for data sharing. The FDX standard is out there and I think is gaining steam and I'm encouraged by that. We need a unified authentication and identity regime. I'm encouraged by FIDO and some of the things in that area. And those to me are the infrastructure table stakes necessary to make the most of the opportunities presented by what otherwise seems frightening in terms of scope and scale. And the beautiful thing is I really do have, I think, a rational hope that community financial institutions factor centrally in this new future, in this new landscape. And I think financial institutions can bring that home for the people in the local hometown, in the market, at the credit union, at the community bank. And so those are my hopes and focuses for the short and midterm. It's a beautiful thing. Lee, we always have fun. Thank you so much. You've already got the invitation for a return podcast. Maybe you, me, and John Wapsh and Ron Shevlin in a Texas death cage match. Oh, I would be all over that. I've been in the <laughs> MMA gym working out ready to throw a punch at Ron Shevlin, but he knows that. Lee Weatherington is the Senior Director of Strategy at Jack Henry and Associates. You can look for Lee in the gym and on LinkedIn. You're listening to Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at NMD Plus, based in London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas. If you like what you've heard here, be sure to check out NMD Plus's financial technology podcast, Dave and Darm Demystify, with hosts Dave Wallace and Darmesh Mystery. Bankadelic. Sponsored by the William Mills Agency. For close to 40 years, the William Mills Agency has served hundreds of companies that provide a wide range of products and services in the banking, payments, mortgage, credit union, and related markets. The William Mills Agency is the largest provider of PR and marketing services for companies that market to the financial industry. For more information, visit williammills.com. 
Have you thought about how you'll gain the upper hand in your search for stellar talent? Banker Hire leverages a niche industry with uncommon insight. They're committed to finding you qualified commercial and community banking, lending, compliance, HR, retail, and wealth talent. Banker Hire prides itself on listening and solving problems. Their approach is 100% hands-on and heads-up, giving you what you need to make smart, actionable decisions. For more information, visit BankerHire.com. Quantic is the adaptive digital bank that offers entrepreneurs, immigrants, millennials, low-income families, seniors, and others innovative banking products and services which embrace the diversity of circumstances that exist in the lives of customers while elevating their financial strength. For more information, visit QuanticBank.com. That's Q-U-O-N-T-I-C Bank.com. <coughs> and now, for a Bankadelic First, our guest, Lee Weatherington, will appear with myself in the Chronicle of Closed Banking. Greetings, Mr. Wallingbush. I'm here on behalf of Tech Braggart Ventures. We were told about your business model as a possibly qualifying entity for a 1 billion series AAA seed funding pre-reverse merger round. Yeah, thanks. Glad to see you can make it. Well, as I'm sure you know, and everyone knows, we at Tech Braggart Ventures have been a leading funder of initiatives in open banking. But according to the proposal letter you sent us, you have something better in mind. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we're quite the opposite of your normal VC candidate. So if you could give us an elevator pitch. Certainly, but... The elevator is closed, as in closed banking. Uh, what do you mean? Simple, closed banking. That's our idea. It shuts down all the threats from hackers, regulators, compliance teams, and pretty much any account holder wants to access their money. That is absurd. Not when you consider our role as disruptors. We like to move fast and break everything. Think about it, man. Branches, closed. Account access, closed. The minds of our loan officers, closed. And you know what we do with all the customer data? I'm dying to hear. We keep it in a vault. We put that vault in a vault, and we throw away the key along with the passwords. I've got to tell you, this is stupid. Well, have you checked your market cap lately? Why should I? Last time I checked, we were worth $378 billion. You might want to refresh your screen. <laughs> um, huh? What? Fund access locked? Ta-da! Closed banking. Now, if you want access along with a 0.02% equity stake, I figure, oh, uh, at a billion dollar deposit, we do the trick. And now, Bankadelic presents... Three Bullseyes. Number one. I think the days 
of thinking that we will just be slow followers and we'll try to be most things to most people in either a tightly or even vaguely defined local geographic market. I think those days are numbered. Number two. What does it mean when you thought you have the protection of a charter as a regulated entity and an exclusive franchise that is now being rented out? And we call that banking as a service or payments as a service or lending as a service or deposits as a service. Number three. I think you have to get really much more focused in this environment to be able to capture the value you can with differentiated offerings for specific niches. I think that's where the gold is for community financial institutions, both banks and credit unions. And now, lose views. Aside from putting on one hell of a performance today on our Bankadelic skit, and we've never had a guest appear on the skit before, Lee Wetherington of Jack Henry and Associates also left us with a compelling vision of what banking can be based on what is already here. So let's start with community banks and credit unions. Traditionally, their bread and butter has always been in their backyard, and with good reason. People who live in the community have traditionally wanted financial institutions that serve the community. Now, fast forward to the beginning of the digital era and websites for community banks and credit unions were maybe nice-to-haves instead of must-haves, and even when they became must-haves, they were really more to talk about the services that you could get in the branch, maybe access some other services, maybe in some way bring them up to a level where they could expand their offerings, even geographically. Well, now we are in an era where we can think of community as affinity. If there are people who, let's say, are RV owners or people who are guitar aficionados or (laughs) any affinity group that you can think of, when you get them onto a platform where they can access resources that are unique to them and have that pair up with an open banking framework where a bunch of other services related to their financial needs and their affinity group are available, and then finally bring to bear what community banks and credit unions have always done well, which is that first-hand personal service. Well, with a combination like that, you can win all day. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Jenny Elman. Thanks again to the William Mills Agency for their generous sponsorship. Thanks to Banker Hire. Thanks also to Quantic. I'm Lou Carlozo. You can catch me on LinkedIn. And as the feds close in on me and the other wise guys, I'll be thinking. Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas. Oh, Lou, I can't get enough of your podcast. 